My name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to the New Leaf Project. Friends, this is the last episode of the Movies for Lent conversation. I'm sad to see it go. I'll bet you are, because uh, of the seven movies that we have featured in Movies for Lent, uh, you've watched none of them. And I would I would consider that a kind of success. I was You've resisted. Mm-hmm. I thought like, did I want to keep like a pure track record here? So I just, I didn't watch this one either. So mm. you remain um, undefeated. Yeah. Seven and oh, I like it. I like it. I like or it. Or over now, seven. I'm not sure seven. which. To... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now to be fair, it's very busy and I'm trying to finish up school over here. So, you know, maybe when that, that's done, I'll, I'll go back and take a look. But I, I did laugh at all of the people who sent me messages about me making comments about pig and, um, Nicholas Cage. So I apologize for Nicholas Cage fans uh, that were offended by my words. I I apologize. Apparently, it wasn't the worst Nicholas Cage movie. So and no, it was in fact not just not the worst. It was a great Nicholas well, Cage excellent. movie. Yeah. This week's movie does not star Nicholas Cage. This is a different one. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Correct. Well, I don't want to engage in any spoilers because I found that uh, the discovery of the point of the film, the center, the mass at the middle, if, if I may, is uh, powerful. It has lots to say. So if you haven't seen the movie, just push pause on this podcast, go watch it, and then you can come back uh, and listen. So I, I, a feature of this week and the discussion you're about to hear is that unfortunately, our dear brother, Adam Klein, was laid up not well. And uh, so I ride shotgun with Jason on this particular movie, offering the things that I saw and the insights I gained from watching it. So why don't we give that a listen, Elle? Here is Jason and myself talking about the movie Mass. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our seventh and sadly our final uh, Movies for Lent. Uh, It's been great having you along for the ride, whether you've been here for all seven or you're you're just popping in this week. Uh, Thanks for uh, joining us on this journey. Uh, It's been great to have uh, Adam alongside me. And uh, Adam, sadly, is feeling under the weather this week, and so he's not able to to be here to participate. Uh, But Jared has stepped up to the plate. He's going to going to pitch hit and we're just uh we're gonna have a discussion about our final movie we thought we'd sort of land the plane on a nice light-hearted easy viewing a movie called mass um quite the emotional gut punch but a pretty profound film looking forward to discussing it with jared and, and hopefully you had a chance to view it and you're discussing it with friends and neighbors and family as well but our our theme uh, this week is the theme of forgiveness and uh it's Holy Week. We specifically chose this movie for Holy Week, dovetailing with Good Friday. And I want to read a, a brief passage of scripture as we've been getting into the habit of doing every week uh, from Luke's Gospel. I'm going to read just a, a few short verses as we sort of zoom into the uh, the crucifixion narrative we are reflecting on this week. And then Jared and I are going to have a conversation. So I'm reading from uh, Luke chapter 23. Uh, beginning at verse 32, just three verses. Uh, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right 
and the other on his left. And Jesus said these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They proceeded by dividing up his clothes and casting lots. This is the word of the Lord. So, Jared, it's good to have you riding shotgun with me uh, this evening. And uh, I know you mentioned that you watched this as a family and you kind of went in cold. This was your first viewing. So I just love to get your as the credits were rolling or sort of the emotional roller coaster ride. Maybe you and uh, and your family went on watching this particular film. What was your experience like? Yeah, so I'm really glad that I obeyed you and uh, did not figure anything out about this movie um i actually even got the the title wrong uh because i read the theme i had like a little postage stamp picture of the poster and i looked up the movie forgiveness and uh i thought that well that doesn't seem quite like what i think i remember the poster looking like so i went back to movies for Lent and i on facebook and i figured it out um so i'm really really happy that i didn't know anything about it because I felt like I was able to uh, go along with the director and uh, to to allow him to slowly reveal what the movie was about. Uh, And, you know, the opening sequence with going into the church and making sure that the room was okay. um, you know, didn't really understand why was the why was the lady renting the space being so like particular about where the Kleenex box was like it, it seemed ridiculous. And then why are these characters meeting? It seems legal implications, maybe a restorative justice process. And then when um, uh, Martha Plimpton's character reveals, she says, your son killed my son. And the, it was fun to allow the movie just to turn on a dime with that one line and and we i was in the whole time it it was nicely paced well acted the characters were unbelievable and and i just found the dialogue so real which is not something you see i've mentioned this before i like overwritten stuff but this was uh realistically written and a lot of just fumbly stumbly stuff like you oh do you want to but oh in uh in incomplete sentences uh i loved it i loved this movie jason i loved it i'm glad to hear that this is one that i I figured people would it's hard to say you enjoy a film like this because of the heaviness of theme right i mean again spoiler alert if you haven't already seen the movie you might want to press pause now before we go any deeper and and like jared his family go in cold but uh we're, we're assuming you you've seen this film and if you haven't highly recommend you get your hands on it in particular maybe over the rest of this holy week and easter weekend would be an appropriate time uh to watch and reflect this film and discuss it um but yeah i agree with everything you've just said uh my first experience was pretty visceral as well i went in pretty cold as well this film this was uh this was screening at my local film festival shout out to the uh, cinefest sudbury movie festival that's the second best festival in canada i'm a little biased behind toronto um but yeah last fall this was on the ticket and i wanted to see this film and it was screening at home so i watched this at home it was a late evening screening. My kids were going to bed. My wife wasn't up for it that late at night. So I'm watching this in my basement sort of screening room alone. 
And my goodness, what an emotional ride it took me on. I literally, I think I was just paralyzed at the end of the film. I, I just physically couldn't move uh, for 15 minutes, what felt like hours, uh, just processing what I had just viewed on screen. And I think a big part of it is because of the screenplay and the, the acting, as you mentioned, it's so believable. You're literally a fly on the wall in this church basement that the whole film, pretty much the whole film takes place in an Episcopalian church basement around a table with two couples. One couple, the parents of one of the victims of a mass shooting, hence the title Mass, because it's about a mass shooting. Mass it implies the weight of the situation, and it's in a church, so a church mass. I mean, so there's almost a triple meaning with the title. So you've got the parents of one of the victims. You've got the parents of the perpetrator. And I think it's five or six years after the fact, and they're finally coming together in a room to have this conversation we are privy to viewing and my goodness what a ride you're on and not one moment or piece of dialogue felt off to me or awkward it and what it is awkward it was it was realistically awkward as you mentioned right they're stumbling over their words they're talking oh thanks for the plant should we put this on the table no let's move it are these bottles of water for us i mean it just it felt so realistic from the, the church volunteers getting everything set up and in place and then the majority of the film we're right there we're right there with them and so i'd, I'd love to, to get your thoughts on the, the particular characters and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about the arc of the characters and how the story moves from start to finish because I found it very fascinating. I'm sure many of us are familiar with you know the particular stages of grief and, and they're not linear and there's no formula per se, but you see the different characters, their assumptions and expectations coming into the film, into this meeting and how things, the trajectories change throughout in the midst of the conversation. I found that quite fascinating. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, Jared, about the character arcs. Did you resonate with one or all of the characters or was there a particular scene or arc that in, in retrospect you were you were interested in? Yeah, what, what I found really fascinating, what makes for amazing screenplay, and I, I agree with you, Jason, I don't think you can say enough positive about this screenplay. Not only was the dialogue realistic, but the motivations of those characters were realistic, and they were written as such. Um, so each of the characters, in my mind, is defined by the thing that they are trying to protect. It's an unthought thought that they can't quite say out loud, but it, it, it shapes their, their ego. It shapes their motivation. It's part of how they're preserving your sanity in an insane situation. Um, each of the characters has a thing, uh, has a way of coping with the trauma. So they have a survival mechanism that they're leaning on. And then each of the characters has a question that they need answered. And each of those questions are very, very different from, from one another. And it does take its time in revealing what the movie is actually about. But when it does, then you see some of, the, some of that stuff playing itself out. And uh, the other just simple comment that I would make is that uh, Martha Plimpton's character is Gail, correct? I, I got the name. Yeah, so let me let me go over the characters for those who maybe yeah. have seen or haven't. So you got Jay and Gail Perry. They're the parents of Evan, who's one of the victims. And this, I mean, sadly, the sad reality is mass shootings are a regular occurrence 
in our neighbors to the south in the states um and this one in particular was inspired uh by the the mass shooting in parkland florida by the director fran kranz who was a a father uh, a relatively new father when this particular incident happened in real life and that sort of set him on this journey to write the screenplay so he wrote the screenplay with uh with reed bernie in mind so you've got jay and gail perry the parents of the victim played by jason isaacs and martha plimpton then you've got richard and linda i didn't catch a last name for them the parents of hayden who is the perpetrator um and they're played by reed bernie and ann dowd and uh i guess the little bit of the backstory is you know uh fran kranz the director he all all five of them the director and the four actors as you spotted i believe jared they all have stage acting experience uh, that should seem a little obvious when you see this it was originally written for stage and someone said no this is too intimate make it into a movie and i'm really glad they did um so yeah all that's just to set the characters but i want to allow you to finish your your sort of thought your arc you're on there jared so he paid special attention to gail and i think gave her uh all the key deflection points in in the story arc so the first deflection point is you killed my son so we go from sort of like a everyone kind of at arm's length talking in a shallow manner talking around the subject and she says the thing out loud and then that's what creates the space uh for the first series of confessions the first series of questions the first sort of gambits of defense and and coping mechanisms and then the second deflection point in the story arc was when she said uh i forgive you um and you know she she tell it it was just such a beautiful moment the other just comment that i would make is what what made this more play-like was not just the simple sets it and i thought the blocking was actually brilliant in it. Um, but it was the lack of a soundtrack. And in in movies, they always use soundtracks to in, enhance the drama or the terror of a moment. You can't watch, a horror movie doesn't make sense without a soundtrack. And often dramas over-depend on like swelling string sounds. And there was no soundtrack in this movie, except for uh, a, a closing credits uh, uh, song, and then sort of what we might call like practical uh, sounds or or music that was like right. actually in the world of of the uh, of the film. But I just found that so gripping and so fascinating, and routinely just pulled myself back and thought, "My goodness, we have expressed so many emotions." And there's no laugh track. There's no sweeping, tear-filled violins to heighten this. It's just a person's voice, their face, their eyes, their body, and all the things that go into great acting. So I, I really like that. That's and again, that's that's a credit to the screenplay and the actors. They're not relying on any of these other technical aspects of the film soundtrack, etc. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier as we were prepping for this too, and I appreciated that the director didn't resort to flashbacks or 
bunch of exposition, but just allowed the story to unroll slowly and intentionally. I think I, I don't I didn't need to go back and see flashbacks to the event. I mean that it was embedded in the dialogue. We're getting bits and pieces of the backstory in a realistic, natural way as these four are dialoguing around this table. And I want to I want to comment on the, the two points you made, the, the the sort of deflection points you mentioned. I think it's interesting that Martha Plimpton's character. I, I've listened to a lot of interviews about this movie. I think I've researched and been so fascinated with this movie more than any other one we've taken on this journey because I wanted to get inside the head of the director and all these actors. And it's interesting that three of the four actors are parents and the one that isn't is Martha Plimpton, Hmm. which is interesting because she's like, she's the consummate aggressive soccer mom, right? She's got that persona, that protective aggressive mother figure in this. And yet, um, I mean, to be able to personify these roles, these four actors is just so incredible. And, and a lot of them, they were talking in interviews I've listened to about um, when they would take a break, five minute break, you know, the director, Fran Cram said, all right, let's take a break. Or at the end of the night, they go to each other's rooms and they would continue to tell stories and talk about their actual lives. I mean, they, they embodied these characters and it was basically a catalyst for that deeper, real-life, authentic human connection. And, they, and if you listen to any interview, and, and we'll put some in the show notes, um, they all say this movie is about moving towards authentic human connection. And I'm, I'm so fascinated that they chose a church setting to be the location to help facilitate this human connection, because that's what the church is supposed to be about at our best is facilitating and cultivating that authentic and vulnerable human connection and healing. So can we talk a little bit about the, I mean, sometimes in films limitations actually open up opportunities rather than take away opportunities. And I thought the idea of a simple set, the lack of flashbacks, that was something that you, you brought up. And I wanted to make a comment about that because I think that that actually served the overall um, point of the film. So by there's sort of a, this could have taken place in any room in any place, like, or any church. I mean, the, the, the funny thing about that church is it looks like all kinds of other churches. It's got goofy banners. It's got, you know, uh, someone folding bulletins. Uh, I could probably smell that hallway. I could tell you exactly what that hallway smelled like. It smelled exactly like a church smells. And, um, but this sort of lack of context, I think is actually one of the points of the film because it, the mass shootings happen in the U S almost every day. And this story just gets repeated and repeated and repeated. And the same questions are asked over and over and over. And these people were, I think, given no context so that they were every context, if that makes sense. So that, that they, could, they, could, they could embody the whole story of all of those mass shootings right from Columbine forward. And I think that the lack of flashbacks, which would have tied us to another location, a specific school, a specific boy. And instead, we are just, these are every boy. Right. These are every kid. And uh, I, I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant choice. And it really served the broader narrative really well. Absolutely. And those listening, if you've seen this film, you might think, well, obviously the director maybe has been closely involved in one of these shootings, but he hadn't. 
and his fear and his worry and concern was that he would present something that was maybe insensitive or would be offensive to someone on either side of the equation. Um, and so he spent two years uh, in the wake of the Parkland, Florida shooting. That was sort of the inciting force for him. He spent two years buying books, interviewing people, listening to testimonies because he wanted to get it right. And, and I think he did. I think he did. And I think you're right. The fact that it's just a generic one setting uh, is more effective than tying it to a specific other event or place. I mean, it, it connects with everyone. And even for those of us who haven't been involved in a traumatic event specific to what they're talking about in the film, we can connect to the broader themes in the film because they, they connect with all of our human condition, right? Anger, resentment, bitterness, moving towards forgiveness and the hurdles that are in the way. I mean, that's the theme tonight. That's the theme of Holy Week and this weekend is forgiveness, right? And in the midst of the most painful, traumatic, darkest, violent event in history, the crucifixion of the Christ, Jesus pronounces forgiveness. And and when Martha Plimpton gets to that point in the film, I mean, I just, I started breaking down again. I just, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to forgive. And we're conditioned to see, no, she's not going to be the one because she's the most angry one at the beginning of the film. And yet she moves on that trajectory towards forgiveness because maybe she's the one who's the most honest and raw. Whereas her husband, Jay, played by Jason Isaacs, it seems like both the, the, the men in the film, they're, they're kind of doing their, their husbandly stoic duty. They're, I'm there for my wife. She needs to be here. She needs to heal. And then we see that Jason Isaac's character is really a mess, right? He needs to heal. And sadly, the, the character that, that leaves early, you know, read Bernie's character. He shows up in his suit. He's, uh, as he said in interviews, I'm, I'm the typical wasp, the white uh, Anglo-Saxon Protestant there. I mean, I'm there hiding behind the mask. I'm prim and proper. I can't show any vulnerability. And, and every time he starts to crack in the film, he pulls it back and he's the one that leaves. He's not even there in the final scene. So he's the most tragic character because the other three we see, they're moving on a better trajectory and perhaps he isn't there yet. And we hope that he gets there. And so as we watch the film, I'm reminded that we're all on unique journeys. I can't. I can judge no man because I haven't walked or woman or child because I haven't walked in their shoes. Um, but it really is an empathy generating film. We get to empathize with these characters because we've walked with them over these two hours. And, and uh, it's, it's just such a beautiful film. Uh, I really enjoyed it so much. Jason, can we talk about a, a few other little elements? Like, so there wasn't a soundtrack, but there was a sound and it was this low, harmonic industrial creaking gate maybe somebody shoving something across a cement floor but it 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 we first heard the sound when you saw the orange ribbon tied to the barbed wire yeah and i wanted to get your take on that because they cut away to that in some almost in the heaviest moments they give us a chance to breathe and they cut away to that What, what what do you make of the sound and that particular visual well i i don't know what to make of that visual uh, to, I'll be very honest with you. I, I, it, it feels like the, the, um, the grocery bag in uh, American Beauty, sort of a, a meditation on something that you would be transfixed by, perhaps if you're in a reflective moment. But the sound to me reflected the, the story of like, this is an industry. This is a system. This is a this is a thing that works on people and it's underneath, it's almost underneath the earth because it's constantly disembodied. It's not 
coming from something on the set. It's not coming from something in the frame. It's almost like underneath the earth. There's this, there are these goings on that creates the situation that these families find themselves in. Another uh, thing that I would just love to hear other people reflect on uh, when we, when we kind of finish up here, Jason, is what did that final scene mean when the, the, the rectangular lights come on? Like that evoked the image of a football field, perhaps like a high school football field. So is that like highlighting or shining a spotlight on the scene, the places where this suffering takes place, where Hayden's are made, where Evans are made? Mm. Was it a prison? Was it an industry? Was it sort of some, I don't know. And I, I, again, like many of the other films we've watched, I think sometimes we need to be okay with just sitting with that ambiguity. I think that's the beauty of a film like this. Uh, it doesn't wrap it up with a nice bow, nice bow because these four characters. Even though there was a bow yeah, dangling in right, front of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that might be a callback to Columbine even. I know, you know, ribbons were very, in the wake of that particular and many, many others, that particular scene sort of evoked some things that happened in the wake. But to me, it's the the mountains in the background. It's the great expanse, the wide open. You know, we're in this tight claustrophobic space and that's how they feel. That's sort of a microcosm of how they're feeling trapped in this grief. And maybe they're longing and yearning for the great wide open that freedom of healing on the other side and they're not fully there yet at the end of the movie but they've made progress or at least three out of four i believe have have made progress uh, and so i don't i don't know what to make of those sounds my, my best guess is that it's just the dis-ease of like you said the system they're, they're going back out into a world where they're going to take hits again there's so much uncertainty as difficult as the conversations were it's still a safe haven in a church where they could be vulnerable but now they're going back out into the real world again, and they're going to run headlong into the uncertainty and what sort of maybe can rise up from under the earth to grab them. And, and maybe, maybe that's a, a good connection point to the scripture and, and the theme of forgiveness, right? I mean, Jesus in everything he did in his life up culminating in his death uh, was to sort of turn things upside down to bring some healing and wholeness to allow us to opt out of some of the systems that keep us trapped in violence and injustice and unforgiveness. And, and so the journey continues for these three, as it does for all of us. I, I think it's an invitation to us as well. And as far as the light, whether it's a baseball or football field or a prison, I don't know. I don't know, but I'd love to get your thoughts and maybe these are conversations that others are listening can continue to have and uh, any final thoughts jared about uh, the film well just in turn sort of reflecting on what was the role of the church and what were the role of the people in the church because they were the container for this like profound transformation and what the you know the the final scene that that gives so much relief is is a choir singing and they're singing an ancient song they're um they're performing and like you know this is not some slick hillsong megachurch we're talking about this is simple building where people have been presumably been meeting for a hundred and some odd years um it's not fancy it's not flashy it's easy to ignore in fact it's kind of 
annoying to uh, to uh, the, the the main characters at the beginning, sort of just like, uh, where am I going? What's this labyrinth? And too many then, hallways. Yeah. Too many hallways. Yep. Too many hallways. And then finally at the end, um, them just uh, expressing themselves to God, uh, having the courage to believe something in the middle of this same world. And it, it seems to set the characters free. It's There's something very truthful and very powerful going on in the simplicity of just being the church and doing what the church does that I, I thought was an unexpected tip of the hat. I'm more used to filmmakers making fun of Christians or using us as the bad guys. But in this, it was, we were a beautiful container of healing. Even if we were, maybe we asked too many questions or tried to, you know, put the Kleenex box in the wrong spot. But for the most part, I think everyone in that was, uh, was just being themselves. And I thought there was something really simple and beautiful about that way to end. Yeah. The simple hospitality of the church, right? Just that that faithful presence and and coming alongside those that are hurting. I mean, that really is what the essence of the church is to be. And reality is church is a pretty easy target for Hollywood because of our shortcomings, but it's nice to be reminded of, what we can and what we should be about. Um, let me just close with with this. Uh, we could talk for another hour, Jared, but uh, we got to land the plane here somewhere. But I know the director, Fran Kranz, and I don't know his personal spirituality, if he's a confessing Christian or not, but he's gone on record saying that this film was very much inspired by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the work of Desmond Tutu in South Africa. And, and he's mentioned his book, uh, No Future Without Forgiveness, which I highly recommend. And so maybe I'll just read this quote from Desmond Tutu, which certainly inspired this film and uh, certainly dovetails with uh, the scripture and the events of Good Friday. Uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu says, there will be no future without forgiveness. Any process of peace is bound to collapse if this is missing. There, there is no way to peace and stability can come through the gun of vengeance. And so to see these characters move from vengeance to forgiveness is a beautiful thing. And, and, and they have a future because of the events we've seen in this film. And, and, and that's the ultimate hope. And that, that's the message of Good Friday is that you know, we, can, we can have a future because forgiveness of Christ expressing God's heart towards the world has been pronounced. And so we can move forward in similar vein, showing the hospitality and the forgiveness of God uh, to those in our midst who are going through traumas and affected by injustices. Thanks, Jared. It's been really great to, to hang out and chat. Thanks again to all those who've been tracking along. Sadly, this is our, our last of this movies for Lent, but hey, maybe we can do this again next year, Jared. It's been fun. And thanks to all the people working behind the scenes at New Leaf to, uh, to get these podcasts out and all those who are faithfully attending our in-person gatherings. And so uh, best to everyone over this uh, Easter weekend and moving forward and uh, let us know uh, any other movies that you've seen that uh, have impacted you. Thanks, Jared. Take care. Thanks. That was our very own Jason Seabass and Jason Tripp having a conversation about the movie Mass. Yes, ma'am. So we've completed this journey and I really, uh, I got a lot out of 
watching movies with other people because no matter how keen an observer you are no matter how many notes you take somebody sees it in a different way than you would and i just so enjoyed the experience of walking through lent connecting good movies all of them were good movies um now mass was by far i think the superior movie i'm blown away that this didn't get mentioned at the oscars uh, this is an incredible entry for this director into the world of filmmaking. Difficult subject matter, challenging stuff, and really, really beautiful work. But there is a question, L, about uh, continuing on, because that's one of the places we left uh, our Wednesday night gathering, thinking, should we do this again? And someone came up with the idea of movies for Lent. No, not Lent. Advent. Rhymes with Lent. Really close Advent. to Lent, yeah. Yeah, not really. Not Ooh. not in terms of the vibe. <laughs> Ooh, no, not the vibe. But that sounds interesting. Movies for Advent. Mm-hmm. Will will we watch Christmas movies? Because then I might participate. Well, actually, no. Um, because uh, that was that was agreed that that would be too on the nose for movies mm. for Advent. Mm. I'm sad. I'm sad. We wouldn't watch Elf. I mean, who wouldn't want to get together and talk about Elf? <laughs> I mean, Elf is an amazing Christmas movie. And there are a lot of good Christmas movies. So you do have a point. So maybe, um, I'll, you know, adv- I'll advocate. Yeah, who will, who yeah. will advocate for Elf? I will. You will. L for Elf. Yep. There okay. you go. I like the idea and I love that it was been, we've just been hearing so much feedback from people who have been participating in it, how meaningful it's been, people who have been checking it out um, afterwards and listening to the podcast. So clearly it hit uh, a nerve and people are enjoying it. And I love the idea that we would expand it into um, Advent. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll leave it up to our buddies, Jason Tripp and Adam Klein to see what they think about that stuff. I certainly have enjoyed learning from them, certainly enjoyed learning from others and uh, I found this a very productive way for my son and I to have some conversations and connect around Lenten observance. So it's Amazing. been good. Um, I'm going to read off the questions, the reflection questions. Uh, if you're using the podcast as your main uh, connect point, uh, here they are. Question one, the traditional question of our people and of our time. Um, After viewing Mass, what thoughts and impressions lingered as the credits rolled and beyond? Why? Number two, from a cinematic perspective, what did you enjoy about the film? What worked for you? What didn't? Number three, Mass is an unflinching look at life after experiencing a horrific trauma. How do each of the four parents in the film deal with grief? What was the trajectory of their character arcs throughout the film? And then finally, number four, in our Good Friday lectionary passage, Jesus displays the forgiveness of God in the midst of the trauma of the crucifixion. What is the place and priority of forgiveness in the kingdom of God? What are the barriers to receiving and extending the forgiveness of God? So that's it for Movies for Lent L. We've got lots going on around the New Leaf Network, lots of things that people can continue to walk along and journey along with us around. So what what are some of the ways people can stay connected and what are some of the things we got coming up? 
always a great way to keep up with us is our website, newleafnetwork.ca. But in terms of a couple of things that people could join us to do, we've been talking a lot about the brand new book that we released, Overlooked, The Forgotten Origin Stories of Canadian Christianity by James Tyler Robertson. He is um, a professor at Tyndale. Uh, it's a great book. It's, uh, I just love talking about this book. It's really... Mm -hmm. I love what uh, one person wrote, uh, the history lesson I wish I'd had in Sunday school. And it really is this beautiful, uh, James just has this beautiful way of bringing together this honest assessment of the history of Christianity in Canada. And uh, I think you're going to really appreciate um, being being in, in invested in the stories that he's telling and the way that he's telling them. So that's you can check that out on uh, the website Canada Overlooked. Um, he also has a spot on the New Leaf website. But in conjunction with that, we're running a book club in the Learning Centre. So Thursday, April 21st, 28th, May 5th, 12th and 19th, 1.30pm uh, till about 3pm. We're going to have James with us. He's going to have a few guests with him and we're going to walk through this book together because so many people who have read the book have said, hey, exactly what uh, that comment by Tara was, you know, I wish I had read this book. They want to process it together in community and talk about the history that they're learning some, some for some people for the first time. Um, and so we want to do that in community. So we're going to be having that, that conversation through the Learning Center. So that would be of interest to you. We would love to have you participate in that. And of course, we're getting together in person and online May 27th and 28th, the table uh, is shaping up to be such a great time. New speakers, new stories, all the time coming on board. So if you can be uh, in present with us and it's safe to do so in Hamilton, we would love to have you with us, but there is the option online as well for people to tune in for that. So that's all on the website. Under the events tab, You uh, that's the best way to keep up with uh, what we're doing. You won't miss out if you keep up with us there. Well, friends, uh, we're, we're grateful to be with you in your headphones here on your speakers. We're excited about being together in person if you can make it. Uh, for the table as well, listen, if you can't make it in person, we're going to have an online option and it's going to be awesome. So be part of that. Uh, join us as we have, I think it's going to be a very important a conversation together uh, and a very important experience together. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. Well, friends, it's been good to be with you. Thanks for joining us on the New Leaf Project. We'll be back at you soon enough. So have a good one. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Bye, friends. Bye-bye.